3: It's the NFL Report, Week 5 edition. I am Steve Weitz with my guy James Palmer. I am back in the saddle. Much props, James, to our girl, Jane Slater, who sat in for me yeah. last Thursday while I had to ha- handle some family business. And, JP, before we take a deep dive into the NFL, i, I-, I got to ask you this, man, because this weekend it happened to me again. Me and my wife, uh, our son, grandson, um, his girlfriend, her parents and everything. We went to a restaurant here in L.A. And they Fair said, enough. okay, for a, ta- for a table this size, it's going to take 90 minutes uh, to get ready. And my wife says, look, Are every time wait? they tell you this, this long 90 minutes, whatever, Anytime time they give you a time, it's always half. It's never that long. They just give you this big window. And so we hang out, and sure enough, in like 30 minutes, hey, your table's ready. Do yep. you find it more to You're be like enough. that, or do you find it more to go like over? If they say 20 minutes, you have to wait 30 well, Steve, I don't
4: spend much time at the Olive Garden, but oh, um, okay. When they give you that little buzzer. Is that what you get? Is that what you guys were getting with a little we where were you can the little buzzer? Something similar. We were at the we, we were at the Joey, I'm down with the Olive Garden. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do. I love the Olive Garden. Yeah, it's always. It's, they give you that hot number, and then they always know something's going to happen, and, and you know, you roll in. You know what happened to me? Check this out. This is a card. Who do you think sent this card? That's where that's
3: that's very. That's, I can only guess where that came from
4: came from one Scott Hansen. and of course, yes, you got city hands Mr. Palmer been counting money your whole life Scott Hansen. we have a mutual admiration for Jaws that is through the roof you heard Baldy on the show uh, on Thursday that it's his favorite film Scott Hansen has sent me an autographed styrofoam cup
3: by Richard Dreyfuss that is so strong I mean can you believe that how did, not get, how did it How did the cup not Matt, get mashed he, up in the packaging, though? Like, how did it not get crushed in the, the box,
4: The box that he sent was so big, and I just heard this little thing rattling around inside of it, and it said fragile. Scott really went to the nines for this. This is going to go up here. I'm going to have this up here all the time. Right in front of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's money, Steve. That's money. You know who else is money? The San Francisco 49ers. Oh, yeah. Who absolutely dismantled the Dallas Cowboys, thanks to a dominant defense and an offense run by Bot Purdy? Robot, Bot Purdy?
0: Here's George Kittle. Like I said, Brock's pocket awareness and being able to move and like keep his feet in position so he can make all those throws. He's like, he's a robot, man. He's just very special. Yeah, I, I don't think he was Steve, you was saying he's a robot. you know this GP. is the Bot Purdy show.
4: Yeah. right. No, the- this is the Brock Purdy show right here. Yeah. He, what did you see?
3: The, the NFL report, as you know, we, we are the leaders in the Brock Purdy fan club. We got, we're going to get him in the MVP conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, and by the way, my favorite movie is Usual Suspects, one of the best ensemble oh, cast. Tremendous. And the 49ers are showing us they're the usual suspects again in terms of victimizing the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, this was by far the biggest annihilation that we've seen of them in the last couple of meetings. And, let, and let's go to Brock Purdy because. Kyle Shanahan Mm -hmm. was also in his bag. We've been talking all along about how Brock Purdy's on schedule. He finds the open receiver, as you're seeing right there, a touchdown pass to George Kittle. Oh, another touchdown pass to George Kittle. And here he's going deep downfield to Brandon Ayuk, as we've been documenting on Mm the show over and over, ever since Brock Purdy has taken over (laughs) those two receivers. Oh, another touchdown to George Kittle. Kittle and Ayuk have been the biggest benefactors of Brock Purdy taking over But Kyle Shanahan, when I say when he was in his bag, he was using the Cowboys' defensive aggressiveness against them. He would roll Purdy out Mm. or do certain things to get their DBs peeping in the backfield and bang, the receiver slipped behind him. Or he'd force a defender on a touchdown to Kyle Juszczyk. An edge defender and a perimeter guy on the second or third level come up to try to get to Purdy before he rolls into the end zone, dumps it off to Juszczyk. The fact that Purdy is playing this well, James, I mean – I just want to put it to you like this for all these people who say Brock Purdy's a system guy. Did Jimmy mm-hmm. Garoppolo, who I love dearly, I love that man because he's just a great human being. We all being. do. Did he ever look this good in the system? Did Trey Lance ever no. look this good in the system? Like name me no. a quarterback under Kyle Shanahan, not named Matt Ryan, who has looked this good in this system. Brock Purdy is playing lights out, no more discussion. And I think everyone talking about all the great tools he has to play with, of course, has to start giving him his proper credit, JP. They have to. And what
4: stood out to me really in this game, Steve, is, right, this defense, this Dan Quinn defense was the first one to face Brock Purdy last year, have an offseason to prepare for him operating this Kyle Shanahan offense, and then play him again this season. Great That's a point. lot of film. That's a lot of time to know how Brock Purdy operates. I think it happened in reverse. Brock Purdy, to my understanding, watched this film at nauseam about the way he played in that playoff win. Didn't play great, but they won against the Cowboys in January. He studied this film endlessly, and what did we see? We saw him get better as the game went on. I mean, this guy goes out, goes 17 of 24. The last two games, he's 37 of 45. Steve, Not bad. Just remarkable over the last two games. The ball is out quicker. He's more aggressive downfield. To me, those two things together show me that he is more comfortable, more confident. He's seeing things quicker within the operation of this offense. You have never, to circle this back, you have never heard Kyle Shanahan say about one of his quarterbacks, I had to stop myself from calling too many passes. He said that post game because that's the rhythm that he saw Brock Purdy in throughout the course of this game, that he had to stop himself and wanted to run it. And that leads me to this last point, which is, I said on Thursday when Jane was on here, I said, they need to run the football. They did it to negate the pass rush in that playoff game. They ran it 41 times in this game for 170 yards, a tremendous effort of running the football with Brock Purdy also operating at an unbelievable level in this offense.
3: And, and JP, we would be remiss if we did not mention how dominant this 49ers defense was. Was it Mm. four, uh, four sacks, three takeaways, maybe I've got it wrong. But they just overwhelmed the Cowboys. you think they they were sick of hearing about the Cowboys' defense? The Cowboys' defense, which we on this show here on the NFL Report, have been bigging up for weeks. They're a little tired of mm-hmm. hearing that, and they went out and showed who the big boss was. Remember, the Cowboys came into this game treating it as if it, it was their Super Bowl. They left this game realizing they aren't good enough to get to the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl at this point is going through Levi's, team in through the NSC. However, JP, I was at a game watching the other unbeaten team in the NFL when the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Los Fly, Angeles Fly. Rams Sunday. And i got to tell you, we can sit here and talk about, oh, they're, they're a weird 5-0, they're not a dominant 5-0. No, they don't look like they're rocking the way the 49ers are in terms of just absolutely functioning at a high level in, in every aspect. But they know that. The fact that they're 5-0 and they beat a very good L.A. Rams team the way they did, Jalen Hurts, was absolutely fantastic. A.J. Brown went over 100 Mm -hmm. yards. Again, Dallas Goddard was fantastic, and and that defense was really, really good. I mean, they shut down a potentially strong Rams offense in the second half of that game. But I talked to center Jason Kelsey, and he was saying – that once they get their red zone issues together, that's when they know they're yes. going to be rolling. They understand that they are not great in the red zone right now. They're good in goal to go, right? They're good with the, with the brotherly shove, mm-hmm. the tough oh, push, from goal to go. But they're 2-6 and six from the red zone. Their field goal kicker, Jake Elliott, 59 points, three short of what the New York Giants have scored all season, by the way. But, oh. but Jason <laughs> Kelsey had to say, look, we love, we love Jake, but we don't want him to have that many points we're close to breaking yeah. what defenses are doing in the red zone we're going to keep scoring jp
4: yeah what, what stands out to me the most about these red zone issues is this is the same personnel they had almost man for man from a season ago and they were third in the nfl in red zone efficiency last year they are 27th right now what is the one thing that has changed and this isn't a knock to offensive coordinator brian johnson but it's they've changed play callers Go look at what Shane Steichen, because I did it, Steve, had done with this Colts red zone offense this upcoming season, this season that they're in right now as opposed to last year. He's put them in the middle of the pack and they were one of the worst in football a season ago. You put those two things together, I think I'd show me that the Shane Steichen's pretty good in this red zone. Now, I, I think you're right. I think the Eagles can figure it out. Like I mentioned, they have the personnel to do it. They're still trying to find certain ways that they click with Brian Johnson running this offense, but what have we seen over the last couple of weeks? Oh, they weren't explosive. They're starting to get pretty explosive, yep. aren't they? Oh, this wasn't happening what, That that. Things are coming along within this offense, so I think the red zone issues that they're having are certainly going to come along. What I also love from this game The game plan for Aaron Donald. Oh, my goodness. Break that down, Steve. This game plan from Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line and run game coordinator from the Philadelphia Eagles.
3: Yeah, look, we know every team is going to double and triple Aaron Donald. But what they did was so different from anything I've seen. And Jason Kelsey told me it was a unique game plan, something they put in this week, something they've never done with another player. So wherever Donald was, remember they moved Donald all the way from nose tackle out to a wide nine. They had a double plan mm-hmm. for him, and it was usually Kelsey would have to go to wherever he was. And it, they would form hmm. the initial blocker, be it Lane Johnson, be it Jordan Mailata, whomever, would engage him. And then Kelsey would come and wall him off like an L. I've never seen anything like it. And it goes to show wow. you like how athletic Kelsey is to get there and how strong and athletic he is to hold up that angle. I mean, they were able to kind of ping-pong him like this. But as I've mentioned before, JP, there are no princes there to become kings with the attention Aaron Donald gets to (laughs) eat with with the open holes that he leaves them to get to the quarterback. In this case, Jalen Hurts, who was just spectacular on Sunday. Mm
4: Mm-hmm. He was unreal. I love how aggressive Nick Sirianni always is. 32 seconds to go in the half. No, we're not going to kneel. We're not even going to try to get a field goal. We're going to go all the way down the field with no time on the, uh, on the clock. Get that brotherly shove, as he calls it, the play that nobody likes. Uh, and they score right before the half. Just love that Nick Sirianni's aggressiveness comes through all the time throughout games. Now, Steve, the game I was at was the Nathaniel Hackett Bowl here in Denver. Yeah. The Jets and Broncos. Now, this game definitely lost some of its luster with the guy that stirred the pot. I'm not talking about Sean Payton. I think the other guy that stirs the pot and would have probably brought things back up this week, Aaron Rodgers, he would have said something at the podium this week about those comments that Sean Payton had this offseason about Nathaniel Hackett's coaching job, the worst he's ever seen. It was kind of subdued pregame, except for one player. CJ Uzama, the tight end for the Jets, got his group of tight ends around him on the corner of the end zone there when they stepped out of their tunnel and said, F him, F them. He took those comments personally. He told me in the locker room afterwards that they kind of, you know, downplayed it all week long. And then they kind of just exploded in this game about how they wanted to go out and win this game for Nathaniel Hackett. What stood out to me, Steve, in the locker room post game, we'll get to on the field. In the locker room post game, there were a lot of choice words for Sean Payton being yelled from the showers, from the training room, from the other side of the locker room. It was, f Sean Payton, just screaming it to to each other in that Jets locker room. It was it was a scene in there. It was a scene in there, and and it's interesting
3: because Sean Payton, Steve, put this bullseye yeah. on his own back. All by himself. He he didn't put it on his back. And this is where coaches have to be careful with some of the comments Mm. they make. They're not on the field playing. It was the players who have to go out and execute. He put the pressure on them. But at the same time, the Broncos players didn't deliver. This is a New York Jets team that most of the NFL has been beaten up on. And they went out there and they took a 10-point L. They did not play well. People can talk about Russell Wilson playing great. I don't think he played well. That defense continues to be a mess. You know, Sean Payton said that our gap control was bad, this and that. That's a fixable thing. But I want to move forward right now because, to me, the Broncos are broken. And they might not win for another two months. Hear me out here. Look at their schedule coming up. Kansas City, Green Bay, the Chiefs again, Buffalo, Minnesota, Cleveland, Houston, the Chargers, Detroit. They're looking at maybe, wow. oh, say, post-Thanksgiving for a dub. Now, they may slide in their law of averages. They may play a game. Another team takes them lightly because they're losing. But, James, my question to you, because you're around this team a lot, you live there. This, to me, looks like it has got to be a significant gutting at some point, whether the trade deadline or after the season – and we know that the one person who's not going anywhere is Sean Payton because the big deal they gave their head coach.
4: That's exactly right. And the two biggest things that I was told during this game, before it, after, anyway, all my time at, uh, at Mile High was this, Steve. From the Jets locker room, they told me that is a team that is lacking any sort of inspiration, lacking any sort of initiative. When you get them down, you can tell that they're down. Ruh-roh. I think that stands out very, very heavily to me. The other part is there are, te- there are guys in this Broncos locker room that believe a, a teardown is coming, and-, and they expect it from the conversations I had. When they say teardown, that means who can we get some picks for, right? Is it Garrett Bowles? Is it Frank Clark? Is it Justin Simmons? Is it either, either one of the receivers in Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton? They're going to make some moves at the deadline. Players are expecting it, but players are expecting it, from my understanding, that this could be a f- full gut job in, in a sense. And th- that's what they're all looking out for. They're in a bad, bad way when you have five possessions coming out of halftime for a grand total of negative yeah, 18 yards.
3: Yeah, it's not good. I mean,
4: that's almost hard to do. I mean, <laughs> Brees Hall, who, who returned the fumble for a touchdown at the end of the game, he told me, he was like, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? I mean, I've never been a part of something like that. <laughs> That's a defender, he's never been a part of something like that. But this Jets team, Steve, with Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook and running the football with as dominant as this defense has the ability to be, I wouldn't sleep on these Jets being in a lot of games as they move forward and and Zach Wilson getting, they think, a little more comfortable talking to people on that sideline. They were shell-shocked for a couple of weeks because of what happened to Aaron Rodgers. But now if you could run the football the way they did, 234 yards in this game figuring out how to use both these guys, I don't think the Jets are going to be a pushover by any stretch.
3: All right, JP, look, you don't think? Well, no. I just got I just got this in my ear that said, "We got a rap." You know why? Let's do it. You know why? Because coming up next, we have because the, the rap sheet. We got the rap. Ian Rappaport from it. the Insiders. He's going to come let us know about Jonathan Taylor. What's going down in Indianapolis? And how many hours are there in a day for him? to actually get some recreation time, back here at the NFL Report, next.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. Welcome back into the
4: NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you, and the OG NFL insider himself, Ian Rappaport. Look, he's insiding right now. He's insiding. In a tremendous shirt, Ian. What are you doing right now? What are you working on?
5: Uh, I was tweeting that Elijah Vera Tucker is out for the season with a torn Achilles. Ooh, bad news for for the New York Jets. I know they were hoping after his MRI that it was good news. They're hoping it was a calf strain, and they're... They were thinking there was some optimism going in. Instead, no optimism. He is now out for mm. the season. Just brutal. One of the Jets' best offensive linemen. Um, that is certainly a tough one to take for the Jets.
3: Yeah, Ian, when they lost him last year, you saw their offense kind of uh, really take a hit. And I love the fact that we're getting to see you like do your job. For those of you on the podcast, <laughs> Ian, as we came on air on camera, was actually down tweeting it out. So this is what he does. He's clearly the best. In the game, and you know, and speaking all the news you're, you know, you're you're dealing with, kind of walk us through the Colts quarterback situation too with Anthony Richardson, and how long he could be out, and Gardner Minshew is uh, who the fantasy experts need to start uh, putting on their teams.
5: Yeah, it does sound like Gardner Minshew is going to be the starter on Sunday, and then moving forward, a grade three AC joint sprain is the word uh, for Anthony Richardson. He's going to get some additional tests, and really there's no rush here as far as deciding when's he going to go on IR, is he going to go on IR, all of those decisions because they know he's not going to play this week, so they want to get multiple opinions. That is where they're at now uh, and figure out what's the best path going forward. Are they going to sign another quarterback? And, and, you know, there's a little more roster flexibility now because you can really sign a quarterback to the practice squad and promote that person if you wanted. So you don't have to make a decision now, but I think it is pretty clear uh, that Anthony Richardson Anthony is going to be off the field uh, going forward. I would say a tough blow, but you know, so much of what you want to see from a young quarterback is just how to protect yourself and how to stay on the field, clearly some of the lessons that need to be learned going forward.
4: Yeah, I think, uh, Ian, I think Trevor Lawrence said that to him early in the season when they were you know meeting in the field like all quarterbacks do and said, hey, I hope you, you know, take fewer hits, man. I, uh, Trevor Lawrence in yeah. his young career already kind of understanding that in a sense. You know, I want to stick with the Colts, though, because, like, it, it, I remember being on this show and saying when jo- if Jonathan Taylor comes back and him and Zach Moss and the way this defense is playing and Shane Steichen coaching, I think really brilliantly so far in this young season, things could really come together, actually, for this Colts team and have a chance to win the division. All the comments are like, Jonathan Taylor's not coming back. Stop saying that Jonathan Taylor's coming back. to the. And here we are, with a new contract, and Jonathan Taylor coming back. Who got this done, essentially, Ian? Like, who, who made sure, made, found a way to get this to happen in a manner to which he's back on the field and, and, and make going to make an impact moving forward?
5: Well, I would say there's several people that that got it done. Uh, first of all, there was Chris Ballard and, you know, kind of getting the okay from owner Jim Merce that they could pay Jonathan Taylor. Once that happened, I'd say... Maybe a week ago, maybe maybe 10 days ago, reached out to Jonathan Taylor's agent, Malky Collin, was like, you know, clearly Taylor was healthy. Let's start working on this. I think, you know, starting the process of, of mending fences, that was good. And then, you know, from the other side, Shane Steichen was talking to Jonathan Taylor to kind of bring him back from where he was, mm. kind of repair that relationship. There was a lot of different people working on this. You know, the actual value of the deal was... Not tough. I mean, when when they went out and solicited trade offers, when it became clear that you know the Colts were open to dealing Jonathan Taylor, what the other teams involved and the Dolphins, the Packers ultimately did not trade for him, but certainly there was interest, both sides, both teams seemed willing to give him around fourteen million dollars per year, kind of established his value. Mm. That actually made it easier in the long run to get that deal done.
3: Yeah, and to that point, Ian I know you said those other teams were willing to give him 14 million a year, but in a nutshell, isn't the 26 million guaranteed basically the projected, if you can, the estimated franchise tag hit for the running back over the next two years? Isn't that kind of the similar type of salary we're looking at?
5: Yeah, well, but what I think it does is it guarantees the franchise tag. Right. You know what nobody wants yep. is to go year by year, right? And I, I think that's mm-hmm. where. You know, we sort of thought the running back deals would get done over the course of the summer. You know, the Josh Jacobs deal, the Saquon Barkley, because basically what teams are doing is saying, like, all right, we'll, we'll lock in the franchise tag deal, and then, you know, we can get a couple extra years at the back end of that. Ultimately, those deals did not end up getting done, but that was kind of the basis for it. Similar here, you know, getting look, it's, getting any deal as a running back is a good thing. Getting any deal as a running back right. Is important, um, And I think the fact that he was able to get a real deal at the top of the market to help reestablish that running back market and be like, all right, you know, you can talk about devalue all you want. Great players are hard to find. You should pay those players. Getting this deal done, just getting it done at all um, was pretty challenging and impressive.
4: And Ian, you know this deal inside and out. And so I want to kind of peel back the curtain, in a sense. We do that on the NFL report a little bit. Look, you're still your head's down, you're still working, but you're multitasking. You're paying attention to me too. I can tell. Like you, when you talk this to is, everyone around hey, the league, this
5: is this is my right? life. This is this is what it's. This like. is your life. You exactly. We, I know. You, this guys, is want what Leah signed, you guys want You eight, eight minutes? I'm happy for, to give you eight minutes. This,
4: yep. This is what Leah signed up for, dude. Max and Jude know all of it.
5: What what do you do
4: <laughs> when you? Kind of figure out that balance between I know this much, but I can only say probably this much. How do you find what you want to be able to say and find that spot, that sweet spot, to where you also have to save some stuff because things are always constantly evolving as the season goes?
5: Yeah, and I think the main thing you do is you tweet what you know. What you know, not what you think, what you know. And... You know, if you get to a point where you're tweeting something and you're unsure, but it's important news to get out, you make sure to give as much context as you possibly can. Like, here's where this okay. stands right now, but the player's going to have the MRI, and then we'll see. You know, whatever it ends up being. Um, whatever it ends up being. Hold on one sec. I need to text someone back. He's
3: inciting. He's inciting people. And real quick. He's inside, it, while, this. While, while, Okay, go ahead. You ready? Can you pick it up? I know you had to pick up. Lines. No,
5: I can pick it up. Yeah. Again, sorry. It's, you know, it's. <laughs> A long segment and sometimes phone calls and such happen when you're on a Monday when they you're happen. working and doing some injuries. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think the main thing you want to do is is you want to say what you know at the time, and if there is context, you want to give it so people get the entire picture, regardless of what you're reporting on.
3: But Ian, it's so interesting because when we all got into this game, you just reported the facts, and now reporting does come with a lot more perspective and context added onto it. But how do you deal with this? Because it happens to all of us. Where We can sometimes get dealt a bucket load of information. right? How do you decipher, okay, is this person testing me by giving me all of this? How relevant is this Who point to you, this, Steve? A point to that. I mean, It happened to me. Michael Jordan, when he was a director of basketball operation for the Washington Wizards, came out and basically told me the players are looking to trade X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I can't dump all of this MJ. out now because it's too much. And I think by playing the long game of finesse, it benefited me. When some of these things actually happened. I mean, how often are you dealing with that? Because I am sure that 70% of things told you, you can't put out in print or you just have to finesse to see what's most relevant.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to balance, like, what do I need to tell? What is important news to report right now? What can I kind of save? What can I make sure is... You know, I, I have for a week from now or an hour from now. I mean, that's kind of what it is, is you parcel out the information that you can give. Give the fans, the readers, the best information you can without burning a source. Um, it is for sure a juggling act, just like, you know, disappearances right here.
3: All right, Ian, real quick, I, I've, got, yeah. I've got to get out. But we've got, for those of you watching, uh, the shirt. Modeling. Okay, so, so imagine, and those in the podcast, imagine like the Rolling Stone, Some Girls LP, and hip hop heads, the Midnight Marauders <laughs> tribe Call Quest album cover, right? You got all these squares, and you've got all the uh, the wrestling masks a tribe out there, Steve, on there. So, like, explain to us real quick uh, what that's about. So,
5: yeah, so uh, this is from the George Kittle collection at Chubby's. I've got this in the mail. I'm wearing it in honor of George Kittle, having a birthday and scoring three touchdowns. Um, I okay. was wondering <laughs> if there was a chance to meet for where. There's no better opportunity than literally right now.
3: All right, Ian, you're the best, man. I really appreciate you spending time with us. And make sure everybody watch Ian Tom Pellicero, Mike Garofolo on NFL Plus and NFL Network on the Insiders. And coming up next, we're going deep into the mess that is the New England Patriots, Phil Perry from the Boston area is coming up to give us all the details on the NFL report.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring –
3: You've mentioned starting over uh, last night and then I know it came up on the radio today. Would that include any conversations about uh, changes in personnel from the roster to depth charter or the coaching staff?
4: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, we'll, you know, we, we need to make, make some improvements in where we are. So we'll see what all that entails. Haven't gone into it yet, but we will. I don't know if it needs a description, but that was one Mr. Bill Belichick. James Palmer, Steve Weich, back with the NFL Report. We are joined with one of my favorite people I love to sit next to in press boxes, specifically in Foxborough. That is Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston. Phil, congratulations. You were witness to the worst home loss of Bill Belichick's career. Take me to Foxborough, Gillette Stadium. What stood out? What was the environment? Go. The worst home loss
2: of Bill Belichick's career in New England and the worst loss of Bill Belichick's career period with the Patriots just one week prior. So it was interesting to be inside the stadium and to hear the boos. You'd expect some boos from some angry Patriots fans. There's no question. But it felt like there was a little bit of resignation in the crowd Ooh. yesterday mm. in Foxborough. I think this this fan base understands what this team is Right now, they are one of the worst teams in football by any number of meaningful metrics out there. They get it. I think the team understands it. He was not there on the field or on the sideline from players or coaches, and they are scrambling for answers right now.
3: So, so Phil, I mean, it's interesting you say that because one of the worst things that can happen to a fan base or, and to a club is, is kind of acceptance of losing or an apathy, right, especially a team like the Patriots where well, there's been so much success – so, okay, so let's let's say things end up going down the pike like this. They're, they're a top ten pick next year. Based on two years of poor personnel, right, that roster has not been good. Would anybody there trust the people in leadership right now to be making the talent acquisition with draft picks that high?
2: It's a great question, Stephen. It's one that Robert Kraft is going to have to wrestle with come season's end, but he was clearly very unhappy at the end of last year because this Patriots team Hmm. was a joke, especially offensively last year, and you had wasted a year essentially of your young quarterback on a rookie contract, very manageable salary, the kind of thing that teams have been taking advantage of for years in this league. Now, it might be the greatest advantage in sports is having a competent quarterback on a rookie contract. It looks like that's what the Patriots had in 2021. They give them a coaching staff Mm -hmm. that's ill-prepared in 2022, and you lost a season, and ownership was not happy. Now, things have looked worse on that side of the ball somehow. They are last in the league in points per game. For the advanced analytics people out there, they are last in the league in terms of EPA per play. They're last in the league in terms of EPA per drop pack and EPA per rush it's it's a mess right now, and there aren't many real solutions. I think before they start to worry about who's making the draft picks next year, you try to do something to salvage this season because they haven't been here before. They don't want to be here. It feels like mm. the the nadir of the Patriots franchise. Uh, you know, even stretching back to before Bill Belichick getting here, they've never had a game a stretch of two games where they've lost by 30 plus points like this back to back weeks.
4: Look at this Steve Phil has already moved on. Like he's he's done with the season 5 games in. Steve's already like, "Let's look at what the Patriots can do in terms of their draft." Now you have to sit there and watch the rest of this season. You have to cover every one of these games, every one of these practices. I'm curious from your stance as you brought up Mac Jones and obviously this offense, what in your mind is a is a bigger issue, Phil? Is it what you we hear around the league, Steve is Mac Jones is seeing ghosts. He's looking at the rush before his eyes are up looking downfield. Or is it a lack of personnel on that side of the ball, whether it be the offensive line or skill players around him? Well, it's a chicken-or-the-egg sort of problem, right? And I look at the personnel
2: first and foremost, and the reason why he's not trusting what's happening in front of him, the reason why his eyes are down and he's staring at the rush as opposed to going through his progressions is because he doesn't believe in the players that are out there. It's it's very apparent based on what he's put on tape. Hmm. He, He says all the right things, and he's doing an interview as we speak right now on Boston Sports Radio, and he's talking about how he believes in the players around him. But his play would say otherwise. And when you look at how he has behaved in the pocket these last two weeks, it's very clear that he understands he has one of the worst offensive lines in football, which they are by many metrics when it comes to their ability to pass protect. But they're near the bottom of the league in terms of yards per rush as well. So they can't run it. They can't protect long enough for Mac Jones to go through his reads and his group of weapons have a very very difficult time separating if you look at some of the next gen stats numbers that are out there on this Patriots pass catching group they can't get open they see more man-to-man coverage than any offense in football right now And there's a reason why defenses are daring the Patriots to beat them one-on-one and they can't do it so I I just go back to something that I heard before the season began guys and, and whether it's Mac Jones or the offensive line or any issues that they're experiencing now even on special teams where they've really invested over the last few years it's very clear to people in the building that this team and this locker room has turned over so much since Tom Brady was at the height of his powers here and even though you do still have a Matthew Slater and a David Andrews and a Dietrich Rice guys that have won Super Bowls there aren't that many of those guys anymore And to start the season the way you started it, I think there's real concern in the building that you lose buy-in early in the season when you start the way you've started and you can't get it back because this group can't lean on previous experiences and say, well, you know what, we'll get this figured out. We'll end up back in the AFC Championship game anyway because you used to be able to start slow when Brady was here. That's not the case anymore.
3: Wow, I mean, it's just interesting to hear this because we've seen teams like the Seahawks lose, lose you know, a guy like Russell Wilson and they're right back in it because they were building for the future while they were still being competitive. And It seems like the Patriots were just hanging on to the past longer, longer, longer. Now it's caught up to them. So I, I want to go back to kind of what you're saying, though. So a change to Bailey Zappi is not going to make any difference, is what you're saying, based on everything else that they're missing. I really don't think so, Steve. It, and it's been fascinating to – see how they
2: have decided to treat this backup quarterback position because they went into the year with one quarterback on the active roster. Bailey Zappi was released to make room for special teamers and defensive reserves and guys that really are going to make no impact on this season. Bailey Zappi was gone about a month ago. And not only that, but they brought in Matt Corral. They brought in Ian Mm -hmm. Book briefly. Will Greer is here now. They've been trying to upgrade that backup spot over the course of the last month. And I asked Bill Belichick today, do you view Bailey Zappi as a, a starting caliber player, potentially? And he didn't answer the question, but I think his actions speak volumes. They don't believe in Bailey Zappi. And right now, how could they believe and Mac Jones based on the way he's played. So the way they've handled that backup spot by not bringing in maybe a viable veteran or maybe even dipping back into the draft this year after spending a year with Bailey Zappi and maybe wondering if he's the right guy for that backup spot, the way they've handled that has really backed them into a corner at the quarterback position. I don't think there's there's much you can do other than play Mac Jones and, and hope he rides it out because you have no viable options behind him right now.
4: Interesting, interesting. We, and we talk about the quarterback position so much, Phil, in, in New England, obviously because the greatest player to ever do it was there for two decades. And since he's left, what is it, 26 and 30, Bill Belichick is, since, since Tom Brady left New England, how much heat from the – I'm from Philadelphia, you know that. Our cities are not shy in what they think about coaches, even ones as esteemed as Bill Belichick. What is the perception of Bill Belichick right now in Boston? Well, there's clearly
2: frustration, and I think the frustration stems from what is a perceived lack of urgency, whether it's been in replacing Mm. Tom Brady. Remember, you know, that was the Cam Newton year, was the year right after Brady was gone in 2020, and the Patriots waited and waited and waited throughout the course of the offseason to determine how they were going to handle their starting quarterback gig. People thought it was going to be Jarrett Stidham because the Patriots hadn't made a move. But right before they get on Mm -hmm. the field and they start their work towards the 2020 season, they bring in Cam Newton and he becomes the starter. Lack of urgency when it comes to replacing Josh McDaniels. We saw how that went last year. And then you know, yep. even with Bill Belichick now, you can ask him about in-game decisions, and it feels like there's a lack of urgency. They decided to punt yesterday, guys, on fourth and three from the Saints' 40-yard yeah. line. They were yeah. down 24 nothing with about 25 minutes left, and you oh. could feel the entire stadium almost in unison scratch their heads and have their eyebrows shoot to the sky when Bill Belichick sent the punt unit back onto the field in that spot, if you're not trying to score points there, how are you trying to stay in this game? How are you trying to maybe even win this game? There's 25 minutes left and you're deciding to punt. Do you feel like you have a better chance to score on a muffed punt or on a turnover than you do with your offense actually out on the field and trying to put the ball in the end zone. Mm. There's things like that that have happened. It feels like almost on a weekly basis now that fans really will latch on to, and they'll call 98.5 the sports hub, and they'll call Felger and Maz, and they will vent because it's been that kind of season. It's been really multiple years now where I think fans have, have started to question whether or not Bill Belichick is the right guy to be leading this team.
3: Wow, look, it happened to Tom Landry. It happened to Don Shula. It happened to some of the greatest ones where, you know, their time comes up. And to that point, speaking of Don Shula, I mean, does Bill Belichick break the all-time coaching wins record in New England? This has to be so far down the list of
2: priorities for the Patriots now. Steve, it's not <laughs> even funny. I mean, we we talked about it in the off-season. Robert Kraft was asked about it. He said, listen, you know, he would love for him to break the record, but they're not here – to be chasing records like that necessarily they're not looking for players to be racking up individual stats so with the coach you have to take the same approach was essentially how Robert Kraft termed it but at this rate how long is it going to take are you are you willing to wait for Bill Belichick to be here as a 75 year old head coach you know winning seven games a year maybe maybe and breaking Mm -hmm. that record i don't think it can factor into the equation anymore i think if it happened and it happened organically mm. robert Kraft would have been thrilled for bill belichick to break that record as the head coach of the patriots i just don't think it's realistic right now as things stand
4: hmm. wow wow phil you're the best man i appreciate you spending some time We probably phil. kept you really long <laughs> you probably stuff. want to be listening to mac jones right now and we and we kept you for all this time are you okay with that Are you kidding? This is the most entertaining thing that I've been a part of uh, in the last
2: 24 hours. I was at Gillette Stadium all day yesterday, guys. This is the most fun I've had in a long-ass time.
4: (laughs) Oh, I love you, Phil. That's awesome, man. Appreciate it, dude. Can't wait to see you again in the flesh. That sounded a little creepy, didn't it? Okay. More NFL uh, report coming up. I flustered myself, Phil, with your devastatingly good looks. We got some teams on the rise, guys. We got the Jaguars won two in London, Steve. We also have a hot, hot team in the Motor City, and that is the
0: Detroit Lions. More on those two teams coming up on the NFL Report. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want,
3: Well, back at the NFL report, and JP, overseas, the Jaguars spent back-to-back weeks there, and they kicked back-to-back tail, got consecutive wins. Now it, are, they're 3-2, and two, and they are looking like the Jaguars on both sides of the ball we expected when this season started.
4: Remember, Steve, when they were heading over to London and I said, maybe just two games there will get them back on the right track. And Doug Peterson raved about these guys spending that week together, right? Every single day, eating together, going out to dinner in the hotel. That bonding experience stood out to Doug Peterson, especially when they were reading their clippings in his mind a little bit about how (laughs) good they were supposed to be at the early part of the season. That's what stood out to the veteran head coach. But what really stands out to me is the way Trevor Lawrence played in this game against the Buffalo Bills. We were all raving about that front seven, Of Buffalo and how they got after the Miami Dolphins. He has made tough throw after tough throw, Steve. I think what he's done under pressure, he's thrown four touchdowns while under pressure this season already. I think he threw four total a season ago. The way he's been able to stand in there, make plays with his legs, get hit while he's throwing on the run, I think he is playing like we saw or expected him to play coming into this season, and it looks like he's finding his stride. I I love watching Trevor Lawrence play. I think the toughness aspect of his game is underrated.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think the offensive line is playing a little bit better, and they had some injuries happen against that Bills. But, again, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence making plays with his legs. Moving around, being creative has opened up the field for Travis Etienne. Folks, we need to start talking about Travis Etienne, one of the best running backs in the NFL, dual purpose especially, but also this defense. Josh Allen, no, not mm. the one for the Bills. One for the Jags has six sacks this season now. Those came in two games, but the pressure he is starting to generate on quarterbacks consistently, he's got nine quarterback hits this far in the season, has also helped Trayvon Walker. Yes, to Trayvon Walker taking ahead mm-hmm. to Aiden, Aiden making ahead of Aiden Hutchinson. He's playing better that defensive front for the Jags. It is about time they gain traction with all the high picks they have there. JP they are starting to play a little bit better. Now, you just heard me talk about Aiden Hutchinson, JP. Those Detroit Lions, I'm sorry, people. We've been banging the drum since the preseason. But, James, is there any doubt that this is the best team in the NFC North? No. And
4: you know what also is, Steve? It's the most balanced team in that division. This is a top-10 team offensively defensively they're a top 10 team on offense in running the football and throwing the football i love the balance that the detroit lions have with this team and they're sitting at four and one i think mainly because they went in and played against a carolina panthers team that you're always wondering is a team for real if they don't play down to an opponent if they don't have a game where they sleepwalk through a team that eventually started playing well over maybe the last 15 games. What have they won, 12 of the last 15? Yeah, I mean, they've really played well from the back end of the season into this one, and you could have overlooked this game. And I think what good teams do is they don't overlook a team. And what I went out and did without key players of this team, no Amara St. Brown, no Jameer Gibbs, no Brian Branch on the back end, we'll talk about the rookies in a second, to be shorthanded and then go out and do what they did. I I think they have a lot of weapons, as we talked about, you know, Trevor Lawrence has a lot of them, the Niners have a lot of them. The Eagles have a lot of them. I don't think you can overlook the number of weapons that Jared Goff has now with the addition of Jamison Williams coming back added to that group. Well,
3: that's because Jared Goff is the number one weapon on here. People can say what they want about Jared Goff. Big time. He's dealing. He's playing fantastic. Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, who probably is in his last year's being their offensive coordinator because they're probably getting an HC job, has just done a fantastic job. Good point with this offense and then Aaron Glenn you know there was a lot of high expectations him the defensive coordinator as becoming a future head coach he is starting to lay that track as you talked about the defense playing well this season as it did over the back half of last season that's in large part to Aiden Hutchinson but that whole group coming together and some excellent draft picks is there a front office maybe outside the 49ers who has been so on point Well, I bet the front office, Mm. the 49ers. I mean, Trey Lance might hurt him a little bit, but they're still the best team in the NFL. But what Detroit has done and building this roster, adding guys like Sam Laporta, like you said, Brian Branch, oh, they don't need those guys. They're duplicates of players they already have. These guys are studs. Jameer Gibbs looks like he's going to be a stud. What about the way that Brad Holmes and Ray Agnew and, and Coach Dan Campbell have put this roster together, not just for the short term, JP, but for the long haul?
4: I always look at what their draft room was like the last couple of years when they picked certain players. And, and, man, were they panned, Steve, right? You're taking Jameer Gibbs where? You're taking a linebacker where? Right. And they are in their room privately ecstatic. Why? Because they're building what they want to build. They're building the team how they see it. And I think a lot of people that question them are not questioning them that much anymore and you think about it they've been doing all of this essentially without the 12th overall pick from two seasons ago who i mentioned in Jamison williams like that that guy hasn't even been really on the field for them as he was coming back from the acl and then had the suspension at the beginning of this season and it did get shortened because of the gambling policy getting changed but these other picks have been phenomenal and to have sam laporta a tight end and steve we know how difficult it is to make a big impact as a tight end as a rookie in the NFL because of everything you have to learn playing the position. Talking to people in Detroit when I was there for their preseason game, they were like, you don't understand the amount of trust Jared Goff has in Sam Laporte already, and you can see it. And that's huge for a young tight end in that sense. I think all of these young players, not that they're just playing well and we're seeing their roles, but they're excelling in their roles. Jameer Gibbs playing that Alvin Kamara to Mark Ingram type of style with David Montgomery. Everybody wants to have more touches. They have a plan. For all of these rookies and I think that's even more important than where you pick the guys that you have a set plan for how you're going to use them and we're seeing that from this organization
3: yeah hey you know what JP I'm thinking about this and I looked at our production schedule and I know our clock right now we're supposed to talk to Bengals let's put them off to Thursday because I really want to put okay. them to give them a lot of time and with Joe Burrow and what they are doing but we're going to go ahead and move on because we've got some big things that we've got to get to Including a discussion on the Kansas City Chiefs and are they for real mm. or maybe there's some holes in their shield. Steve. We'll be back on the NFL Steve. report after this.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses.
3: All right, to wrap things up here at the NFL Report, I'm Steve Weiss with James Palmer. And, James, We see the Kansas City Chiefs, day one, again, in week five, barely beating the Minnesota Vikings. A little controversy in that game as well. And then you had Travis Kelsey spraying his ankle in that game. Oof. But, James, you're on the team a lot. And, you know, we, we've been saying it for years, and they've kind of gotten by, like won some Super Bowls. But, like, the star power at receiver, you know, we, we know Pacheco, we know some stuff they have in the backfield, but it seems more and more the lack of receiving reliability, let's say, for Patrick Mahomes, other than Travis Kelsey, is starting to rear its head in a league where the elite teams thus far have got playmakers on both sides of the ball. Are you in any way Mm -hmm. concerned when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs about their ability to keep on winning this way? Sounds crazy, winning this way, they're winning, but their their ability to do that in a league where big stars – at the playmaking position seem like it's a requirement.
4: No. Should we end the show after that? No. Uh, listen, see, <laughs> name this to me, Steve, though. The number one wide receiver in terms of yards on the Chiefs is who right now? After five. I would
3: say, was it Raishi Rice?
4: No. It is Justin Watson is the leading wide okay. receiver All right. for the Kansas City Chiefs right now. And that plays right into what you're saying, right? And they're playing... A lot of guys at the receiver position and they're rotating a lot of them in but what's happening there because they kept a lot coming out of camp what's happening there also is a lot of them are young and a lot of them are just learning how to play with Patrick Mahomes. now when I was at training camp in the start of this season we were told repeatedly Rasheed Rice is coming on like gangbusters Sky Moore is going to take a big jump in year two he has figured things out that was wishful thinking in a sense that those things would happen right out of the gate, Steve. I think that's what you have to be realistic about. And playing with Patrick Mahomes, Matt Nagy was just saying it in a Zoom call with the local media on Monday, which was, it takes some time to learn how Pat plays. A lot of things are off schedule. A lot of things are terms of scramble drill. It's why he's always looking and finding Travis Kelsey, because the two of them are on the same page repeatedly. Learning everything that they want you to do as a wide receiver in that role All the different things that go into it, playing it in the Kansas City Chiefs offense, there's a lot there. So there's a lot of growth and a lot of work that has to be done with this group. But I don't see a panic because you have the best player on the planet playing quarterback for your team. I do think that helps them out tremendously when he also has the ability to create and make plays on his own. You saw that the last couple weeks. If he wants to use his legs, he'll go out and do that if things break down as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case, you know, as well, too. I'm not panicked. I do think it's going to be a little bit more of a struggle for them. I think there's going to be a lot more Mm 12-round fights than there are going to be TKOs than than they've had to go through because of this. While they're learning, because teams are adjusting to what they're doing, but, man, they ask a lot of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, we know this defense has played Mm -hmm. pretty well out of the gate, but, I mean, it just seems like they put so much on him. If these guys don't step up, you know, we'll see, because there aren't a ton of teams. You know, as much as we were were ballyhooing the AFC – kind of coming into the season. It doesn't seem like there's that many juggernauts out there that could still wrangle with them, but I do think the Dolphins could be there. We will be back Thursday on the NFL Report. For Dave
0: Palmer, I'm Steve White. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower –
1: The
3: okay.